Welcome everyone to the 11th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. I'm Dan Cozell here. Uh, Nick, how are you, buddy? Not bad. Yourself? Oh, just grinding every day, but, uh, you know, trying to keep people informed too at the same time. But uh, I think we've entered a very uh, unique time in terms of ways of thinking. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, it's, it's shaping the way people behave. It's shaping the way people interact with each other. It's shaping the way people are investing. Um, everything. Ev- everything. And Your mind dictates literally the outcome of the real reality. 100%. Like what you think every day will become who you are. Exactly. Um, the, the way you interact with your people, your neighbors, the way you'll then the government is going to reflect itself with how the way it engages with. If you're the people are divided, the government is going to be divided. If yeah. the people are divided, the economy is going to be divided. Yeah. It's literally a reflection of the way people behave. It, it, and, you know, I think the, per, the, the theme of this episode really um, is going to be centered around just, you know, understanding that we can find solutions to the problem um but but they will be but violence 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 doesn't solve anything yeah violence is not and i think you and i could agree with this but violence is not the solution period i'm a big Um, guy i've never been in a fight in my life other than doing martial arts just for the sake of martial arts it, there's zero purpose in fighting. There's zero purpose in, in looting. If you're going to mask yourself behind a cause and go about destroying things, then you're weak Then you're pathetic. Then you are exactly what the society does not need. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I give, it, I give respect. Look, history-wise, there's, people have earned the right to stand up for themselves. You, I, can't, I can't take that away. And ironically, the whole fact that there's the being the COVID crisis and a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of compound to do. So it's like, it's perfect. Exactly. So now I don't think that all this would have happened as deep as it has. If we had not shut down the economy if people had not become unemployed because now people have plenty of time on their hands, on their hands to stand up. And like we said, the government dealt with this whole COVID wrong. They're putting it all on the people. The people don't know what to do. They're bored. They're not making money. The economy looks like it's doing shit, but the stock market looks like it's doing fantastic. But now it's chaotic. And then you see on live viral somebody being killed by a police officer. That's it. That was the end of it. So, uh, and again, let, like we're going to tie this whole theme back to where we as individuals can become creative and obviously add value to solving problems for people while also building some kind of sustained wealth. Or some kind of, you know, financial stability. It's because at the end of the day, yes, at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, it really comes down to one thing. The ones that are constantly frustrated, the ones that are constantly causing some kind of a violence are not helping to build civilization. These are people that unfortunately do not have any type of source of income coming in their way. Now I'll explain this idea. If you have, and again, this goes back to the compounding effect of being locked down for two months. I agree with you, but we'll talk about that particular piece in a second. If an individual is is, is, is producing, is creating, is innovating, you know, 
is given somewhat of the tools by surrounding himself with the right people, that person will prosper. Now, again, this sounds like a generalization, but I think the reality is, and this is just talking to a lot of people who are of a different, you know, skin color as well. You know, they understand the frustration. They understand that there is sort of an, it's a pretty big issue. I'm not, it's not even a question, but the solution will never be violence. The solution is okay. What can we do right now? What problems can we solve to help build communities, to create our own little economies, to help grow the overall, you know, country's wealth, prosperity, and to provide for themselves, right? And I think this comes down to two things. It comes down to education. And it comes down to financial literacy. Which is part of the, which is part of the education. Yes. It's part but, of it. it. Absolutely. But I also think it, it also comes down to the fact that, you know, if people understand how the flow of money works, mm-hmm. how, they can, how they can help themselves first, and then use that to create their own opportunities and then give back to the community. Of course. That, that just creates a, a really good societal benefit for everybody. Now, can I just create a, can I just create like a comparison? Pattern? Sure. So check. So for people that there's, cause a lot of people, especially people that don't know how to benefit from the economic landscape, a lot of people will hit, hate on it. A lot of people will say it's wrong. Everybody will say it's broken. Everybody will say that it's not, a, that it's capitalism is bad. But in the reality of things, if you look at back into history, We've always needed a system of barter or transaction in order to allow society and civilization to build on itself. It's how we exchange things from goods to services to products to whatever it is. You need a form of exchange. That form of exchange is what the economy is. It's a matter of transaction. Now, if you go about and you start comparing it to any other system we have within our society, you will not find a structure that has more pattern-based common sense than the economy. The economy works off of common sense, which is why you'll find the most successful people there, which is why you'll find some of the most intellectual people there, and you'll find some of the most wealthiest people there. Because the economy, if you know how to leverage it, it makes sense. Everywhere else, everywhere else, not so much. But you could have learned so much through the economy. Why? Because the economy is literally affected by every impact you can think of in the world whether it's politics people psychology no matter what it is you want to think about the economy will reflect trends and behaviors understand somewhat of it and understand the basic fundamentals of how the economy moves and behaves you can then take that fundamental principle and go and reflect it in how you go about building a better government and how you go about building a better system because you're implementing patterns of hierarchy and structure governance accountability uh, it, it just makes so much more sense. And like you said, being educated about cash flow and understanding how the economy functions and knowing how to leverage it will only improve your overall understanding of the system as a whole because we use the, we use the economy to transact between each political government, between each country, between each company, between each individual. We use that. We use it to live. We use it to eat. We use it to travel. We use it to do whatever the hell you want to do. You need the economy to do that. And, and, and what's, the, what's the one thing that all of these have in common? The one thing? The one well, thing. That, it starts with a P. It's, a one, it's one word. Well, you, you say people? Yes. Okay, yeah, exactly. Like we're, 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 all, we're all humans, right? The, the whole system moves with human activity. 
Yeah. Right. And if human activity is being succumbed to this anger and hatred, um, it, it just doesn't do any good. Don't get me wrong. What we saw last two weeks ago was murder. That's not even a question. I think that's a universal agreement. Not a yeah. single person I've spoken to does not agree, uh, does, 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 does not disagree that that was murder. Okay? What's your fear? Okay. So let's so take everything that's been happening now. What do you fear? Because you have to, in order to project forward, we, we have to try to avoid bad outcomes and we need to focus on good outcomes. But right now, is, are you afraid of anything or I, afraid of what could have become? So, okay. So uh, the thing that I would say is in the last six years, I think the only thing that you should fear is, you know, when you're 80 years old, you look back and you say, I didn't give it my all. That's what I fear. Okay. And I, and you know, most people won't agree with that. They'd be like, well, I fear this. I feel that that's a short-term sighted. I'm thinking long-term in these situations. The thing that I'm worried about the most right now, I don't want to call it fear because I'm not necessarily fearful of this, but the thing that I'm worried about the most is, um, it's okay to do something without facing some kind of a consequence, right? So I know we're getting a little off track here in terms of like economics, but this does revolve around sort of the judicial system. Um, you know, if somebody goes and, and pro, like, you know, let's say you have a business, right? If I had a business store, if I had a retail shop, you know, and it got destroyed because there were, pro, uh, you know, a peaceful protest turned into a riot or a scene, I'm okay with the peaceful protesting. That's your of freedom of speech. That's freedom of speech. You are absolutely allowed to do that. Okay. Can people criticize you for that? Sure. You can definitely do that. It's a free country. We're, we're in Canada and the US right now. These are the two, probably the most two freest countries in terms of freedom of expression. But don't go and destroy someone's entire you know, business after we just went through a two to three month lockdown period where unemployment, by the way, in Canada, for every 1% unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. Like that's a, that's a stat. Okay. You can Google that on the, you know, stats, Canada, U S federal bureau statistics. It says that for every 1% unemployment that we have increased 40,000 people die. So I'm what's the, him, so what's the, you, you, go, 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 go. but like, so what's the risk to reward? You know, like the risk is you loot something, okay? You start burning stuff and then what? What's the reward for that? You know, it takes 10 years possibly to rebuild some kind of a community of some sort. We can, we, we can, this, like the, the, the people that want to go about and to, to, to destroy things, we can connect it right back to your own freaking dollar. You hate giving money to the government. You exactly. go about destroying your city and then what does the government have to do? Well... We have no choice, but we have to spend money to fix the city. We don't fix the city. We don't have communities. So you're just looping the money around and wasting it. You're creating more economic pain than anything else. By the movement alone, standing everybody together, that has pressure and that will create pressure. But then going and, about and destroying that's good. things. But that's good. Pressure is a good thing. Exactly. Pressure but going creates to, some kind of a change eventually. But for sure. Evolution. Evolution by, by law evolution requires external pressure for you to then realize that there's a necessity for a character for a change in your behaviors without external pressure 
you never really end up seeing the need for change, which is where society is. We've been in a point where we've been so protected by external factors, millennials, so born into comfort and luxuries, traveling and everybody, it's so easy to find a job in the, in the major cities. We've never really had external pressure until now. Until now, yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you understand the need to embrace external pressure and be ahead of pain, be ahead of problems, be ahead of circumstances that'll destroy us or cripple us. Well, well, here's what I'll say too, because again, we're speaking on behalf of sort of Western civilization right now, Canada, US. Let's speak on behalf of that. I first, cannot, world, first world. First world. I cannot comment on you know, what it's like in you know, other, civilized, other countries in the world where there's probably suppression of speech. If you protest, you will get shot. I can't comment on that. But we're talking about, okay, we're in a Western civilization right now. This is a tipping point in society. This is a tipping point in history. And this is going to obviously impact sort of the way that millennials think as well as future investments into other things, right? So what I've seen this last few weeks, and we'll talk about the stock market real quickly and why there's, there's such a big disconnect because it makes sense at this point. But Well, you, you see it. Every, yeah, exactly. It's reflected in everything that's going on. Right. But you, you, what, what, I, what I was trying to get at is when you have you know, this opportunity in the society like this, and all you've been doing throughout this time is you're not educating yourself, okay? You're not surrounding yourself with the right people. You're not asking open, more open-ended questions as to why things are a certain way. And you're not putting in effort on a daily basis to, to obviously get ahead. I mean, what are you doing, right? You're either getting worse or you're getting better. There's, there's a, there's no, there's a, every day that goes by, you're getting better or you're getting worse. There's right? two terms that I, uh, that I define in the book that I say for people that want to, so, well, there's three in total. You have leaders in a system. Okay. You have people that are participants of a system, which means that you will add and create value to the system, even though you're not leading the system. Right. And then you have, and then you have hooligans, people that will just go about add no value, create chaos create a demand for change that benefits them but uh, it's like kind of like a narcissistic aspect of our society they're so focused on themselves and they don't want to participate within the system but they expect the system to participate with them there's, there's a complete disconnect in how it, they it, behave. It, it's like it's like they they they, they believe that they the, the system owns owes something to them exactly when in reality they haven't contributed any type of value it's and listen People who are listening to this right now, if, if this offends you, I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but this is just the reality of the situation. Hey, you if, you, if, if, so if, you, if you disagree, come to, go, come to my Instagram page. Tell me a better solution. Yes. Tell me a better idea. Another if you want to criticize, sure. if you want to criticize, I am all for criticism. I enjoy it. It pressures me. It makes me have to think outside the box. It makes me have to understand how I have to restructure my thought process or my arguments. It challenge me all you want. It it also it also and you know I've had discussions with friends who I've disagreed with, but you know what? At the end of those discussions, we've all said the same thing. I've never thought I'd see it that way, but I understand that person's viewpoint, and that's a healthy dialogue. Criticism. Right? So my my brother told me a good point once. We were talking about criticism. Was if you're going to the system are people. People's intellect requires criticism. It, that pressure on your mind is an assessment. But people that are going to criticize 
without ever providing some sort of alternate option or providing some sort of alternate information or, or, ev- or collaborating hard, hard or, evidence, yeah, hard numbers, collaborating, numbers, collaborating to try to develop an ulterior option to the one you provided criticism with value is 10 times more important than just criticizing somebody and then saying, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore or criticizing with, no other option and no other evidence, nothing else to just say you're wrong and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. And um, it's a pretty good segue now into something else that's kind of been on my mind this week. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with it, Nick, but um, you know, two years ago it was, or, you know, when, when Trump was running for office, PC political correctness was sort of that term that people were kind of referring to. Now I think that term has kind of evolved into something called cancel culture. And cancel culture, I think, when you ask me, what do you fear? I don't fear it. This is something I worry about the most right now. Because whenever you have a disagreement with somebody, the first thing you got to figure out is, okay, where's the common ground here? What's one thing that we can agree on right now where we could kind of build off of each other? Because without agreement, you're never going to get to sort of that common goal. And again- when, yeah. when, 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 when somebody criticizes you because they disagree with you, they, they, you know, they start criticizing you. They might label you, you know, without really having a discussion. Who, who is that ultimately benefiting? And then when you ask them a question and they say, I've said what I've had to say, this isn't a good use of my time. My follow-up question is, why did you engage in the first place? You walk away both hating each other more. After it, exactly. So it's like, why, why are we, this is cancel culture. This is the definition of cancel culture, a society where if one person disagrees with someone else's viewpoint, that same person essentially says, you're not a good use of my time. Goodbye. I've said what I've had to say. This just divides us even more. Check. There's a, there's a pure hypocrisy in these statements in that. Okay. What's something that investors love in, in terms of how they go about investing with stock market? What do you expect of your corporate company? You expect transparency? You expect accountability and you expect proper governance according to that. That's part of that within a culture of a business makes investors that much more willing to be part of the culture and the business. Then you come in and look at the reflection of the reality, the people and the government. The people say, well, you can't have freedom of speech. Cancer, don't say this, don't do that. I could criticize you, but I don't have to back it up. At the end of the day, if you don't want, if you can't handle criticism, you can't handle being open about a certain topic then how can you be accountable if you're always afraid to speak? Yeah. How can you be transparent if you're afraid to speak? If I can't tell you things straight up without you coming at me like a hooligan, then how can I be open to having a constructive conversation that yields a better outcome? It's pure and simple mathematics. One plus one is two. If, you, if I come in with positivity to try to yield a greater outcome and you come in trying to take that power away from me, all we're going to end up with is a one minus one, which is a zero. Data and algorithms and coding is literally reflected in our own behaviors as well. Come in with positivity to yield a better outcome. If both people, like you were saying, right? It's the approach you have before you even have your conversation. If you come in with an open mind for a better outcome and you both do that, the outcome is better, is more likely to occur. If you, one person comes in, already done. If both don't come in with that, done. You need both sides. That's where the collaboration comes into play. You cannot collaborate if you can't, if you can't expect to work together. It just doesn't work. It's what a team is. It's the fundamental principle of team. And, and, of a, and, 
I, I, I always, you know, like I'm not perfect. You know, I'll, I'll admit that, you know, there's, there's certain things that I've said in the past where I probably shouldn't have said it, you know, I'll admit that I, I was wrong. I fucked up, you know, something like that. But the important thing too, is when you do fuck up and you do screw up is to admit that you're wrong as well. Right. That in a way shows one, a sign of maturity, right? When you start saying stuff and you start dodging it because you disagree with it and then pure evidence is presented to you in a way that you're just like, oh, this, this is contrarian to what I believe in and all you're doing is getting emotional right now and you can't even admit that you're wrong in that situation. I mean, this is honestly, I think this is the first step in personal development too and in societal development is to at one point say, I fucked up, where can we fix this? What can we do moving forward? These are questions what, that you need to start asking, right? What, 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 is it, what is it one of the most common things a lot of like CEOs and wealthy entrepreneurs and successful people say? They'll say, do not be afraid of failure. That includes your thoughts and your ideas. Yeah, Don't be 100%. afraid to be wrong or have a wrong conclusion with your idea. But, the, but then what has to happen is that you have to then seek a better answer, seek a better ideology, seek a better thought process. If the system doesn't collaborate together in order to improve itself, then the system will always be broken up. It'll never, it'll never yield the outcome you want because everyone is, is like millennials. As much as you wish to do your stuff, like remember the question I was asking about fear? Yeah. There's a part of me, like I'm not a person, I'm a very, I try to be very objective in my life. I try to be very rational in how I think. So feelings, because at the end of the day, feelings is still part of your brain. Feelings is part of your brain, but it's the bias it's, you got to get rid of after exactly. you're having a discussion, for sure. So I've, I've, ever since I was a child, or at least a teenager in high school, I've always tried to focus on objectivity. Focusing on numbers helps you prioritize objectivity because numbers doesn't take into account feelings. Numbers is just reality of data. So one of the things that I... You see, like you, I don't know if I consider fear, but it's something that worries me. Regardless, I trust myself that I'll figure it out and I'll, my future will always be good regardless. Yeah. But if I want a good system fair for everybody, for everybody to enjoy themselves, that's where my fear comes in. It's that now, as we're become, millennials are becoming the apex of our species, where we're taking over most of the workforce, we're, we're going to eventually start taking over leadership roles. We're so incompetent in terms of being able to criticize each other. We're not... We're not fully educated in terms of understanding the complexity of our system. We're afraid to take chances that, and now the people that are gaining so much voice in all this commotion, chaos that's occurring, if these people gain a voice, even though their intention is good and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're talking about and they don't understand how every decision they make has a consequence, whether it's positive or negative, on the economy. An economic consequence, for sure. Because every decision you make in politics will impact the economy, almost in every possible way. 100%. The economy is so important. So if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how the system behaves in terms of how it transacts, you don't understand the psychology of the people, you don't know how to improve collaboration, you don't know how to bring people together, your voice is going to cause more problems and you will never solve anything. So that's one of my, those are one of the things that I'm, I yeah. So, so Nick, Nick you gotta, you gotta tell them about your book though, real quickly. Cause that's what Nick, Nick wrote a really interesting book uh, called the intelligent millennial, right? 
Yeah. It's so, out on Amazon but, right now, right? Well, not yet. It's going to okay, be by okay, the end okay. of this week. Oops. By the end of this week. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So the basis of it is that. So if for those of you who follow finance or at least know Benjamin Graham, he has a book that's called The Intelligent Investor. So the premise of that book is just about understanding value investing and value in the economy and how to look for opportunities. Now, as a millennial, something that I begin to realize is that before you even enter the step of being able to properly analyze structures and information, millennials are still lacking on so much fundamental other stuff that before they even step up to the plate of understanding the principles of the intelligent investor, millennials need to become, as the title is called, the intelligent millennial. You have to become smarter. Once you become smarter, you can then better apply that book. So this is a prequel to the book. This is something for millennials to read before they even venture off into understanding the economy. Because this is about understanding your psychology, about understanding the system in which it operates. So there's a, this is a very, uh, it's a very amateur field of study that hasn't really been done much, which is called structural dynamics. You can apply it within physics, but you can also apply it on a social, uh, sociology level. Within a sociology level, in the sense where you have different social structures that interact with each other. So we have three social structures. One is the economy, one is the government, and one is the people. Yeah. Now, normally within fields of academia, you have professionals or experts in psychology. Then you have experts in sociology. Then you have experts in economics. But in reality, there is no real experts that says that they understand all three very well. And in my world, the only place where I see people that have a good understanding of how to lead people, which requires you to understand psychology and mass behaviors and understand how the economy works is people that are leaders and CEOs within the economic structure. So reflecting their behaviors is very important. So basically, as we were talking about education before, our system functions primarily, I believe, within three fund, uh, fundamental pillars that supports the entire system as you said education to me as i say in it i believe is the number one important thing without education as you grow up and you learn and you educate and you and you're taught that is the foundation that's the first pillar that holds the whole thing up off of that you have governance so how we hold each other accountable and how we're transparent and how we communicate with each other yeah if you don't communicate you're not a team therefore you cannot collaborate if you're not accountable to your own actions, every time you do something wrong, you're not gonna you're not gonna try to do better. You're just gonna keep doing the same thing over and over. And because then nobody be, no nobody's held you accountable. You have faced you, the consequences of it. And you have to hold, but you also have to be willing to hold yourself accountable at the same yeah. time. That's so a sign, because, that's that's a maturity part too. Exactly. Right? That's it. So we we're at a point where we need to start maturing as a system. So communication. Without communication, you can't collaborate. Without accountability and within for each other and ourselves. You can't collaborate because there's so much discord. And if you're not educated enough to come to the table and add value, again, you can't collaborate because you have people that are completely separate. People that are at the top, people at the bottom. For the people to rise to the top, you have to understand the system better. And that's where the education part comes in. Yep. So those are the three pillars. Then I go into history and psychology and evolution. You basically kind just show, gave, you, you, you kind of just gave your whole book away here. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but then you got to get more details. It's a, it's only about a hundred pages. Uh, exactly. So it's a little, it's, it's good, man. First book under his belt. I mean, look, you set a goal, right? You're like, I'm going to yeah. write a book. It doesn't matter how many pages. Well, it's funny because originally what I want to do was I was trying to write a, a blog post for us. The purpose was I want to write a paper on trends because right. at the end of the day, 
trends are dictated by psychology, dictated by generational movements. Right. Okay? And consumer, so, consumer behavior at the end of the exactly. day. Exactly. So psychology. Exactly. So, I think, so basically the premise was I was trying to look at how, try to do a little blog post about how trends and how as people grow up, as generations come into play, you see new trends that come into the market and landscape. And that if you don't have, if companies don't follow those trends, they can vanish. Their sustainability, the viability of the business can eventually fade away because they're not adapting to the new reality of the landscape. So the purpose of it was just to do that. But then it led me to this whole deep thought of, well, yes. And then it led me to the chaos within the system and then how we don't collaborate properly and how people don't understand the premise of psychology. So I, and it just, I started writing and writing. I was at 2000 words. I was like, screw it. I may as well write a book at this point. Good man. I mean, like, look, you took, you took an idea, you put it into a, you know, paper, you wrote it down on a piece of paper and you obviously had a goal with this was just to, to, to build a foundation for sort of a millennial thought process. Yeah. And, and it's funny now because you're not, you, you didn't do this. You didn't do this though right now for money. You're no, doing, I, I'm not even, honest, yeah. yeah, for me, the purpose of this book, I even say in the book, I go, I want to collaborate. This is my manifesto. These are my theories. These are my ideas. When you, after reading it, if you want to do something better with the system, come and collaborate with me, yeah. come and talk to me, come and add to my ideas. The better we improve the foundation of the theories that will fundamentally improve the system, the better it is for everyone. I have only, I only have things to gain by you collaborating with me. Hundred percent. I have man. nothing to lose. I have nothing. Else. I just want to win. So if you collaborate, we we win. So yeah. So I just. Uh, so yeah. So it wasn't. So like right now, the money, the purpose of the money is just I want to collaborate. I want to reach out and I want to get my name and my brand out there. And I just I want to become. I guess you can say is I want to become an expert in structural dynamics. I want to become an expert in, in thought process and behavioral psychology. I, I want to. That's where I want to head to. Right. And I think that just, it's, it's an example of like, Hey, like there needs to be some kind of a change and you're taking that step forward to make, you know, it's a small step, but you know, you keep that momentum going. It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna, it's gonna grow. It's the same thing with anything, you know? And that's why, again, I know we're talking sort of about the psychology and stuff, but this relates back to like, how do you create sort of, you know, a wealth system for yourself as an individual? That way you can give back at a later time. All starts in that freaking it, head. It, exactly. Like whatever you're, whatever you're feeding your mind every day is going to be a direct consequence of what you're giving out. And I like to call it the, it's called the inflow outflow dynamic. Um, a buddy of mine, he told me about this and I, I, I read up about it and he explained it to me and I was just like, wow, like this actually makes sense, right? Whatever you put in your head every single day, you're going to output it. The, I guess your psychology, the reality is dictated by your psychology. Therefore, yes. literally based on pure logic and rationale, if how you behave is based on your psychology, how the system behaves is based on how people behave. Therefore, psychology is the root to everything. Yeah. It is. It is. But, and the one thing, the, the other thing that I would say too, and uh, we'll talk about the stock market soon, but um, <laughs> the history is probably the most important lesson in the world. Um, it encompasses our, it, history, it, our humanity. It, it, it was, when I was in high school, um, I loved history so much. Because I had a grand, I had two grandparents actually who fought in World War II uh, in the Soviet Army, um, and then I obviously spoke to them about sort of their stories. They were a little shocked, like they didn't want to tell me at first because I was younger. But then as I got older, I had discussions with them. They started telling me all this stuff, and I read a quote 
uh, this week, actually, and I was just like, it, it totally makes sense. Those who ignore history will fall guilty to, to, be, parting, to be part of the repeat of history, right? Um, history has a way to tie what is going on right now to society, right? Now, it depends, obviously, what your viewpoint on that is, but it also depends on what you just said, which is sort of the psychology of your thinking, right? Because at the end of the day, perception is reality. But that reality comes from what you've been feeding your brain. Your, psycho and your psychology how, reflects it after. Yes, and your psychology uh, reflects it after. So um, it, it's so important for people to, you know, I use Netflix now to go watch history documentaries. Oh, I'm I, the I, first one to say it. If you think that school is going to teach you more history than going on YouTube and Netflix and learning it from there, you're so wrong. Yeah. You're so, so, so wrong to go spend money and school to learn history when you could learn that on TV in a thousand times more interesting way. Uh, yeah. So, and I know- And no we, exams. And no yeah. exams after. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you do. You memorize exams. But no, seriously, like there's so many interesting documentaries on Netflix about history, civil rights, investing, uh, World War II, World War One. you know, uh, at every every crazy event, you know, mm. the, the worst ones too, like understanding, you know, the, the Armenian genocide, um, like the Holocaust too. Like, I know these are, even me just saying it right now, I had a hard time just saying it, but it just shows you that you need to, as an individual, as a millennial, you need to watch this because this is the reality of like where, why we're here today as individuals and as a society that if I find if you do watch this and you do, and it's going to, some of them might suck because you'll be like, I cannot believe this has happened. Do you want to, do you want to hear uh, an interesting quote on literally your education thing? Uh, sure. The history. Sure. So this is by HG Wells. Okay. So this is one of the quotes I referenced in my book. So this one's it's deep. It goes human history. Just think of now human history becomes more and more erased between education and catastrophe. Wow. The exact thing what's going on now. We're not smart enough to look at the system. Get smarter and you always you get ahead of all these chaotic moments. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, you lock down the country for three months. It's going to compound this. You yeah. Know? So you gave the exact, you gave them exactly what they needed to, for this to happen. People were at home. People were bored. People were fed up. People didn't have anything else to do. People had no distractions. Like back in the day, if you didn't give them the, the gladiators, people started writing they were so focused on the problems you gave them you gave them gladiators they were distracted i actually want to make a comment sort of on history by the way again Bro. um i made a post yesterday it was d-day yeah uh, yesterday was the 76th anniversary of d-day anybody okay. listening to this please go watch there's a interesting piece on it on netflix world war ii in color it's called d-day i think it's like the fourth or fifth episode please go watch that this was one of the most, this was the scariest battle with the allies. So the U S Britain, France, uh, no, not, sorry, not France, France got invaded by the Nazis, but it was U S uh, Britain, Canada uh, versus the Nazis who I don't need to get into that, but obviously this was a crazy war. And I made a post, I go 76 years later, never forget about D-Day hashtag history matters, hashtag freedom. I think I only got about like four people that liked it. And I had a, I had a buddy comment. He goes, 
Thousands of people gave their lives for our freedom and liberty. Years later, only get three thumbs up on your Facebook. So we've kind of shifted from like, okay, what's popular versus like, what's actually the reason as to why we're here as a society. And I find that that, that, that worries me too. I'm going to give you another quote just for what you just said. Okay. So again, relate the history, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin and culture is like a tree without roots. It like, <laughs> I, I, we, we, I think at this point, it, the history part is so important. You got free yeah. time on the weekend. Please do yourself a favor. Like, I'm going to summarize it in a very, very interesting way in terms of understand how to, why the importance of history is so valuable. It's that history is the encompassment of our humanity. It shows our thousands and thousands of years of evolution of how we've evolved as humans. It literally shows that. That's what history is. It shows that. And then it shows us how our psychology, which allowed us to thrive and become to where and get to the point we're at. History is the encompassment of our evolution and our psychology. Boom. That's it. That's all. It shows you everything. History shows you what our mind is capable. History shows you what innovation and evolution is, is, makes us capable of doing. Embrace it. Don't fight it. Yeah. Like it's, it's the most, honestly, it's the most important thing. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to continue to learn about it because, and there's going to be things that I'm going to watch. I'm going to be like, I hate this, but like, you have to be able to like embrace it to a certain degree and then take what you know and apply that to your own self to be a better human, right? So, to be a better contributor to society. Yeah. So I'm going to tie it now to the economy because, well, let's well, just we've been talking right about there. history for too so long. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let, no, 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 but it's perfect because I'm going to say uh, it's, it's just a good segue. Perfect. So check for people that say, well, the economy is evil, this and that. From an economic perspective, I would love that the economy can tap into every single human in the world. Why? The more people that participate in the economy, the more money goes into the economy. The more money in the economy, the bigger the system becomes. The bigger the system becomes, the more opportunities for wealth creation there is. It's literally only a win-win. How do you think China in the last decade did so well? They brought up some of their middle class. They spent a shitload of money to do it, to build their infrastructure. And now look what they're at. They're the sec- one of the second... One of, the, one of the most powerful countries in the world, India, India, which is such a huge, massively untapped country. If they can improve their overall infrastructure and they can tap into more middle-class people and bring up a lot of their poverty up to middle-class, guess what? They're going to be a powerhouse too. And guess what? It's only going to create a more dynamic complex, but yet a, but a bigger economic system. The bigger the economy, the bigger the opportunities and the more opportunities there are. So that's like, why that's why I think shrooms are getting legalized now because it's going to be a job creator as we move forward, right? Guys, jo- job economy- creation, job creation, by the way, will solve all these problems. But and guess how do you do that? You tap into your population. Yeah. The more people that tap into the economy, the more you reduce poverty. Poverty can only be solved with money. Money. You fight the economy, my, you will my, never mindset, solve it. My, mindset too. I mean, like, whoa, 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 but as in, like, the 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 the, the waiter literally say you no longer poor is by having money. That's all I meant. But right. yes, the underlying root but, is education and psychology that yeah. improves that, and then from there you have money. But I'm just trying to say in terms of like economics, without money you can't really, in the end of the day, improve your situation. Well, Floyd Floyd Mayweather said it at uh, I went to an event in Vegas, and you know, crazy event. I mean, I'm wearing the hat. Grant Cardone threw a crazy event and Floyd Mayweather came up on stage and 
he asked him the question, he's like, what does money mean to you? And Floyd said, probably the most simple answer where you're just like, okay, this makes sense. Like, why doesn't everybody understand this? You know? And he goes, without money, you can't eat. Right? It's so tool. it's a tool. It's a tool. It's like a gun. You, how you use it is the way it'll be reflected in Exactly. So, um, you know, in terms of economics, I mean, for me, I think, you know, job creation in general will help solve these problems, yeah. right? The more people have opportunities and the more people have access to good education, right? It's a fine line, right? This isn't about political ideology anymore, by the way. This no. is not political ideology. This is just the reality of the situation is the more people that have access to jobs that have income producing positions of whatever sort. This is economic theories. Yeah, yes. It, it always ties back to that because again, you don't have, if you do not have healthy people, if you do not have people that are, you know, smart, ambitious, wanting to go out there who are somewhat contributors to entrepreneurs, society. more entrepreneurs, more style. entrepreneurs, for sure. I think entrepreneurs, they're problem solvers by nature. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's people that are like sort of intrapreneurs who are kind of within organizations. You got to give them those people an opportunity as well, because yeah. without, without a healthy group of people like that, you don't have an economy and without an economy, yeah. you don't have a country. No. And you have to focus. And the thing is, the more you want to bring people out of poverty, the more the economy has to grow. Right. And in order for the economy to grow, it doesn't mean that more people become rich and narcissistic. All it means is that you collaborate more. You, you, you open the landscape more. You tap into new opportunities. You, tr you, you follow trends. You, you collaborate more with other countries. Like one of the biggest thing is start like there is a benefit to collaborating with external countries. If we become too solidified within our nation, let's say, let's say nobody says, oh, screw every other country, don't give the money. Okay, but then you're gonna be Canada dependent only on 35 million people. Well, good luck having a really strong economy and good luck on having a very wealthy based people. You can't, because you're not, you're not interacting with anybody else. So yeah, I mean, just comes down to one thing, right? Can you, are, can you become, you know, a better person through education. Smarter, smarter, just educate, just learn. You, you can't, nobody can say you can't learn anymore, man. Everything I've learned about psychology, everything I've learned about history, everything I've learned about economics and investing was all by trial and error, was by observing, was by watching YouTube and Netflix, was by having conversations with people. Everything that I did not do in school, I did it outside in my life. And I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm fucking happy with who I am. Yeah. I'm happy. That, that's, with that takes a lot. That takes a lot, man. You know, I could say the same thing. And, and you know what? I, the, the other, the other day I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm so happy right now too, you know? And I think that's also the key. Once you get to that level of happiness, then you just got to keep pushing forward. And you're no longer afraid to take chances and exactly. risks anymore. I, uh, exactly. So, I mean, like, that, that takes time to develop, but the only way that that happens is by you taking full responsibility, educating yeah. yourself, not just, I have a university degree. I'm not done. I do too. I you know, do you, too. You do too. You know, like just because you have a degree doesn't mean it doesn't mean There's, shit. Unfortunately, yeah. like especially yeah. for a business degree, like you have a whole life of education ahead of you. The moment you and stop, the moment we I heard, still learn. Yeah, the moment the moment you stop learning, you die. Exactly. You're done. So well, let's talk about, let's talk about the market though, because I feel like we're getting a lot of questions as to why there's such a big disconnect between the stock market and, and the real economy. Um, 
Friday, the U.S. Uh, had announced unemployment was at 13.3%. The projection was supposed to be at 19%, maybe even 20%. So when that number came in, I think everybody was surprised. The critics will say, well, the numbers were inflated, this, that, that. Time will tell, right? Yeah, I'm exactly. Not gonna, I'm not, we're, not, no. we're, not, we're not fully there yet. But the exactly, other thing that I've exactly. noticed too is that Canada actually added 268,000 jobs to the economy in May. And May was kind of like that contraction period where it was like, hey, are we slowly going to open up? What's going to happen here? What's going to, and then obviously the protests started happening. What's, what's the, what's the net loss of unemployment in Canada? The you know, net, the net well, loss. Well, no, sorry. Don't say net. The total loss. And then we'll, we'll take into account that they added 120,000 jobs. Well, I, mean, I think, I think, I think. Because I only follow the U.S. I don't, I don't follow much of Canada. So, so, so Canada, Canada uh, in April lost about 2 million jobs. Okay. Um, so the unemployment for that projected was supposed to be about 16.5%. I think the actual number for June is supposed to be announced this week. I'm just going to check trading economics here for two seconds, but, um, it just, is, just, just people understand why, like, I don't follow Canada as much as because, well, at the end of the day, most of the world economy is dictated by us and China and Europe. So Canada is just a decimal place in the world and everything they do is literally a reflection more of how the U.S. behaves. So I don't really necessarily need to understand Canada that well because the U.S. is literally the global powerhouse of the world and dictates most of the economic landscape. Okay, so, so, so I have the data over here. Um, Canada, so the April, the main number, it came in on Friday actually too. So 13.7%, okay? okay. Uh, the forecast was supposed to be 15.5. That is an okay. encouraging sign. Anytime the forecast is uh, higher than what actually happens with unemployment, I think that's a great sign. Don't get me wrong. 13.7% is shit. Yeah. We, have a, we have a long, we have a very long way to go. And you have bankruptcies to continue. Yes. And there's going to be bankruptcies that start unfolding. Um, there's going to be a lot of companies that we're probably never going to see. I think, you know, Montreal, St. Catherine Street um, Old is, port. Is, is, is dead. Um, well, poor is that I was just there last night yeah. doing a walk. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a shock to most people. This is why everyone's a little bit frustrated too. I get that. But here's what we have to realize too, is um, why there's such a disconnect between the economy and the stock market. The stock market is a forward looking machine. Yeah. Period. Okay. Yeah. Um, what it does is it takes into account future earnings value of yep. companies as well as the over overall economy. I think though, the stock market right now, up until Friday, was absolutely right the whole way. And I was critical about it. Every economist was critical about it, understandably so, because economists are not businessmen and businessmen are not economists. They're two very different. But um, the, the stock market got it right. Um, my only concern now is how much longer does this rally go before there's some yeah. kind of massive pullback or correction? Hey, profit taking, because right. you could, you, there's nothing wrong. Like, Technically speaking, there would be nothing wrong if an institution said, well, you know what, let's take some of our profits because now we're about to see a lot of more uncertainty build up. Let's just take money back off the table and then they're going to they're gonna reverse the, uh, the market direction. Well, and I, I, I also think that the, the, the stock market right now is looking to 2021 Q2 earnings because the earnings but, growth was supposed to be flat this year. It's obviously going to be declined. They're not taking that into account. And that's how the stock market works. So when people say there's such yeah. a disconnect, I'm just like, it's a forward looking machine. Yeah. It's looking past coronavirus right now. People have to, people also have to look at who 
are the heavy-weighted players in the economic landscape in the stock market that are heavily pushing the market up. Well, if you look at the biggest companies in the world, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, those five companies together are probably worth, what, $5 trillion USD collectively, maybe a little bit more. I would say at least roughly, because four of them are over a trillion. So collectively together, you already have five trillion. So I'm just gonna say five trillion USD. Those five big boys, which are all tech-based companies, which all they all have nothing but good future outlook from an investment perspective, which means you don't really you're not really seeing an economic, you're not gonna really see much of a slowdown in their PE multiple, theoretically for now the instances, because a lot of the smaller players are gonna start struggling which means the big boys have a better opportunity. So of course it's still value. Like I would still like Microsoft, even though the multiple is a little higher than it is. But at the end of the day, if I put a little chance in, in the tech boys, I don't care. I, I still see the long-term value. In it. I, I, think, I think the thing with tech though is you could buy Apple right now and you'd be getting it at a good price. <laughs> like you could still- Hard to believe, but I think so. Like, you know? Guys, you have to realize, you know, that this can, you, ha you can always understand some of the variables that impact the market. And when you see that these big, Amazon hitting all-time highs, Microsoft back at all-time high, like these guys have so much impact on the market that even though you have like industrial companies, you have manufacturing, you have automotive, you have airlines that are still doing bad in retail, well, it doesn't matter because if you're gonna look at it as a reflective of the whole system, well, the big tech boys are worth so much money that they're just gonna weigh everything back up on a global, uh, on a global outlook of it. Yeah. And um, listen, I wouldn't be surprised if we hit all-time highs this year, believe it or not. Well, Amazon hit it, so the market too. So yeah. at this point, um, the market didn't even look at the protests, believe it or no. not, and the rioting. So if anything, you're just hurting the small people. Yeah. So yeah, it's just damaging more of the small people. Yeah. So the, I think the lesson here is the stock market is never the economy. I think everybody knows right. that. Um, but again, I think to recap what we just talked about too is. Um, critical thinking is important. Yeah, back to our first episode. <laughs> crit, crit, yeah, crit, critical thinking is so crucial now. Um, and I think you got to put history into that bucket now. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for, you know, since high school. I've, I've loved history. Um, Alexander the Great. You want somebody who's crazy powerful? Alexander the Great. His teachers, his, there's a, so Alexander the Great, he had, oh, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to do a nice little, uh, Alexander the Great. With uh, with 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 what's been going on though, I think it's it just you got to draw the right parallels between historic figures and not and patterns. Look for patterns in history yeah, that yeah. demonstrate why things work the way they did and why it happened. So if you look at history, okay, so you have Alexander the Great. In Alexander the Great's case, okay, why does this thing keep turning around like that? Okay, so Alexander the Great. So for people to understand something, Alexander the Great, he was born in a, within a powerful country where his father was already doing pretty well for the nation, had a pretty good might uh, power, but Alexander the Great didn't want the comfort. He wanted to go out and make something himself. So he went out. Now, who was his teacher? His teacher was Aristotle. Who was Aristotle's teacher? That was Plato. And who was Plato's teacher? It was Socrates. Yeah. If you look at 150 years of history, that's still remembered to this day, 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later, Okay. These four people, one was a teacher, one taught the other one who taught the other, who then taught Alexander the Great. Four people that to this day we still remember, they taught one another. Teacher-student relationship is important. Learning is important. Pushing beyond what your teacher told you. That means that millennials, we have to be smarter than the boomers. 
We can't fight them all the time. And, and you know what? The, the next generation after us is going to be smarter, smarter than us. Exactly. But that becomes our job to make yeah. sure that that happens. And you got to accept that. Yeah, you got to accept that and just, you know, just be a better person with that stuff. I feel like boomers, boomers, they took like an ego stance where it's, we made this world what it is now. A hundred percent. Like where we stand now as a species, we give it to you. You, you made it. But hell, look at how many problems we have. And if we can't handle this stuff, then you, it, everything's going to fall apart. Because our generation doesn't seem to be very understanding of any of this complexity. Well, look, um, <laughs> I think this was a pretty heavy episode in terms of just sort of how we feel about current events. Again, protesting, we're all for that. That's, that's yeah. the number one thing. That's, that, that is the most important human right. But be right? smart about it. Be smart about it. Yeah. That's the main takeaway. And then ask yourself, okay, if I'm going to do something right now, what could I do to make a difference in the world? Yeah. For us, me and you, Nick, we love the stock market. You know, yep. we're investors or I trade, I day trade a little bit. Um, I, I'm, I'm still learning. I put the time in every day, every weekend I'm putting the time in, you know, like you and said, I, the moment we stop learning, we're screwed as investors. Yeah. And you know what? I think the other thing too is, and I'll just, I think we'll end sort of on, on this note. Never be afraid to ask for help. No. Collaboration. Collaboration. There's stuff that you know that I don't, and there's stuff that I know that you don't. But there's stuff that both of us don't know that maybe someone else knows. And I think that you, you, you got to keep that open mind there. Because if you don't do that and you, you're, you're picking sides based on how you feel emotionally about something, uh, and then you look back and you're just like, wait, what was I actually talking about here? It's just like, it doesn't make sense. What I've been doing these last few years is I know who I am as an individual. Okay. I know, you know, who you are as an individual. I I'm going to get criticized. I'm going to get criticized. I've accepted that. And I'm going to get people that don't like, you know, what I'm doing. There's going to be people that like what we're doing, you know? And I, I could only say one thing, don't be afraid to get criticized for doing something that you fundamentally believe is right. Especially if you take the approach accordingly, people that are going to criticize you, unless they're there to add value, just brush them off. Like you're just, you're going to waste your time at the end of the day. If you interact yeah. with people, they're just going to waste your time. Yeah. You you're, don't just move on Aim right. forward history, man. One thing it tells you is that change alone is unchangeable. Things will always continue to occur. Yeah. You just have to learn how to adapt and evolve and be better. But, so you can always take advantage of opportunities. But again, if somebody engages with you and disagrees with you, let's find, like, find that common ground. Yeah. As be, long be, as they're willing. As, as, long as long as they're, exactly. As long as they're willing. Again, this goes back to cancel culture that's kind of like growing right now. This needs to stop. This needs to stop or it's just going to hurt us. Um, so yeah, we normally talk about investing primarily, but um, I think this one is, is a really important sort of understanding as to what we as millennials can do. So it's important because it's, it, I, even no matter what we talk about, if, if it, if we connect it to the economy, it ties into how you're going to invest. It ties into the strategy you're going to build. If you're going long-term, if you're going short-term, your horizons are dictated by all these fundamental variables. Everything going on now dictates that my short-term outlook on the economy or the stock market, I don't even know what to think anymore. Yeah. But if I'm going long, okay, I feel better. Like your variables that you look at, no matter what it is, one way or another will shape your horizon depending on the strategy you're having. Just one last thing, I think, before we go. Um, I'll leave this as an open-ended question here. Um, 
for all the listeners, what's one skill that you could learn this year that'll help you get ahead and help other people down the road? We'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening, guys. We hope everybody stays safe. If you're going to protest, protest peacefully. Um, We'll get through this crazy madness, but take the time to learn about history. It's so important. So important. Ciao, guys. Take care. Take care, guys.